Well, there's there's politics always involved with anything that we don't understand and that we have strong dataless opinions about. Hello and welcome to We Need Another Meeting. I am Josh Tolman. Sitting next to me is my fellow product manager, Mr. Kyle Jacobson. Hello, everybody. We are excited about today's podcast because we have an amazing guest. Sure do. We have Patrick Campbell joining us. Patrick is co-founder and CEO of ProfitWell, was formerly known as Price Intelligently. They help subscription companies grow through free subscription metrics, pricing, and retention. Josh and I were talking uh, before we began recording, and we both agree that Patrick knows everything there is to know about packaging and pricing, so no pressure. Uh, we also agreed uh, <laughs> that uh, most product teams are probably uh, needing better knowledge around this topic. So, yeah. Patrick, thank you for joining us. Absolutely, absolutely. Hopefully, I will live up to those uh, those lofty expectations. There. <laughs> no, we're kidding. So, Patrick, how did you get in um, get into pricing? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I ended up, my background's in econometrics and math. So I'm from the Midwest originally and, and basically was looking for, for my niche. And so I studied a lot about you know statistics and things like that. I worked um, in the intelligence community and then I worked in uh, at Google actually as an econ modeler. So basically just taking a lot of data, building some models for some sort of an output. And it, it, it kind of really was pricing or, or at least value optimization. And then when I worked at a startup after Google called Gemvara, which was kind of like a Blue Nile competitor, they, they made customizable jewelry. So you'd come in and basically you could set whatever gemstone or whatever metal you wanted. And the problem was is that there were 1.6 million different SKUs because of the customization. So I got assigned pricing, uh, was told just to go figure that out. And it was one of those things where that was the first time I, I really dug into pricing and then realized that you know little changes would make huge spikes or huge tanking of, of revenue and uh, was basically like no one knows anything about this um, they gave it to some you know not even mid-level you know not, but not entry-level person to go figure out and you know it was one of those things where I was like oh we can do this better as a community and that's when I jumped out and started price intelligently which you know then came, became ProfitWell, which I can go into a bit as, if as well so uh, real quick back on the Google thing did you price any products there that we might know? <laughs> well, everything's free at Google, so probably not. But uh, it is. But I was looking at the YouTube TV this morning, and I'm like, thirty-five nice. bucks, but it's going up to forty. And I was wondering if I could blame <laughs> you for that. No, <laughs> no. You can, well, do you pay for this, Josh? Yeah. No, I didn't. At this point, you can probably blame myself and, and the team here for most subscription or SaaS pricing, or at least one of the subscription or SaaS pricing products you've paid for, um, and, and whether you enjoyed the price or not. Tell us how was Profit Well Born? So you uh, you were doing things, you're doing this work elsewhere, and then how did you come up with the idea of doing this on your own? Yeah. So essentially, it's it's just a continuation kind of of that story where I, I was working on it at this company called Jimfara. I, I frankly, I wasn't really enamored with the culture uh, for a number of different reasons, and um, some of those were like very personal. Just discovering, you know, what I like and what I don't like in a culture, and others, I, I would argue, were just a nature of the size of the company. And so, I, out of my own kind of hubris and arrogance, or you know, intelligence, depending on what side you look at, um, you know, it was like, all right, I'm going to go start a company and linked up with a couple of kind of part-time advisors and uh, basically launched Price Intelligently. And 
we started off actually as a software product that was focused on basically collecting data from um, you know your users and your customers. So basically doing customer development, but with a pricing kind of stint on it. And then eventually evolved into what's called a tech-enabled service, which is basically, you know, something where you can buy our software, but you have to buy service uh, on top of it. Mainly because most people we found, you know, were, were really intelligent and could interpret the data, but had never done anything with pricing and didn't have the confidence to actually implement the data. So they needed someone to kind of sit over their shoulder. Uh, and from there, you know, it's kind of the mission has expanded pretty rapidly from just focusing on subscription pricing to now focusing on, you know, subscription growth in general. And that's kind of where the ProfitWell product line came from, which is, you know, free subscription financial metrics and then a couple of different add-ons. Hmm. Uh, real quick, tell us a little bit more, our listeners, a little bit more about what ProfitWell is. I know you just touched on it there, but um, I, I would, I, real quick, I know our, our audience is product people and lots of times pricing will just kind of get thrown over onto their lap and they've got to deal with it. So, yeah, tell them a little bit about ProfitWell and how it can help them. Totally. So we we discovered through kind of the journey of the business that a lot of um, a lot of folks had this problem, as as a lot of your listeners know, and then a lot of it came down to basically a board member or someone being like, "Hey, this needs to get fixed," and then they're sitting with the C team and either marketing or product raises their hand to fix it, or they're kind of it's forced onto them because people are like, "Oh, this is a marketing problem," or "Oh, this is a product problem," and so. Our issue with our, our business model back then was basically it's it's a pretty high ACV or a high cost product. And so we were actually thinking about how can we get a more kind of like spreadable or scalable product that we could help a bunch of people with pricing and, and a number of other things. And interestingly enough, while that was going on, we were sitting with a, a board, um, in particular a CFO of a company that was about to go public. And we found out that the CFO was calculating their monthly recurring revenue completely incorrectly. And it wasn't like a small bit off. It was like a lot of bit off. Yeah. And it was a CFO had taken two of their companies public. And so we were just thinking, oh my gosh. (laughs) And that was that was kind of the start of it where we were thinking, okay, we're looking for something to kind of spread our knowledge and spread our algorithms further. And this person who should know exactly what they're doing. Is is making a, a very very common mistake that we've seen in other companies. Let's let's you know work on this metrics product, and we ended up building it. And there's there's a bigger story in how we came up with giving it away for free versus charging for it. But basically, what that allowed us to do is start scaling out to a bunch of different companies. So now someone can come in, sign up for ProfitWell, and get a ton of value for free for their you know churn metrics, their cohorts, all the main you know, recurring revenue metrics that you need on the finance side. But then it's very easy for us to basically run a report on the pricing side and basically say, hey, based on all of your numbers, this is what's wrong with your pricing. And if you want to fix it on your own, great. If you want our help doing it with the price intelligence products, we're, you know, we're more than happy to. So help me understand who should be in charge of pricing or packaging and pricing at your average B2B a software company. What is your uh, what does your persona look like? That's a great question. So which so you I, shouldn't use because they're a waste of time, personas, just so you know. But go ahead oh, and answer. No. We're gonna fight <laughs> about don't. personas, don't worry. Please, um, please don't listen to Josh. Oh my gosh. No. So um I think the big thing to kind of keep in mind is pricing is it's it's a multifunctional problem. 
So it affects like your price. If this is the way you should think about pricing, it is the exchange rate on the value that you're providing. So in software, we're building this product. We're building it for a certain set of personas or a certain set of you know the market. We're about to go you know deliver that 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 value. And when it comes time to price, you're basically saying, all right, I think I'm creating this much value for this target audience. And I think what ends up happening is a lot of people, they get into this mindset that pricing is a one and done activity, even though your product is always getting better, your brand's always getting better, et cetera. Mm, that's a good point. But they also get into this mindset that it's like, oh, like just give it, just give it to product. Like they'll go figure it out. The issue is, is that product then goes, wants to change the price because they've done the research, they've studied things. And then marketing goes, oh, no, 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 that's not going to work. And then sales goes like, oh, don't raise the prices. And, you know, the CEO goes, oh, I, I heard from this one article I read that we should put the highest price tier on the left hand and that's what we should do. Like just all this like very unfortunate tribal knowledge that just isn't right. And so mm-hmm. what we typically recommend is that someone in marketing or someone in product should be the lead. Basically they're taking care of the research. They're, you know, kind of running and, and carrying the ball to kind of use, you know, a cliche kind of phrase. But mm-hmm. then what ends up happening is you need what's called a pricing committee. So a pricing committee should be made up of some sort of leadership member of product, marketing, finance, and sales. And sometimes the CEO, depending on the size of your company, and, and sometimes less, less than those number of people if you're a smaller company. But then product or marketing does a bunch of research, and we can get into like what type of research they should be doing, brings back that research to the team, makes a recommendation, they talk about it, maybe product or marketing goes back and does a couple of other research um, you know, to kind of handle some of the objections, then comes back to the team, and then finally makes a decision and product or marketing or the people are going to be implementing it. So it, it, it's one of those things where it should be kind of this cross-functional problem that people are solving. If for anything, just to handle any politics that come up with, with trying to implement pricing changes. It seems like there's always politics when it comes to packaging and pricing. It is a very tricky line to walk because you've got so many people who have vested interests in it, right? This is going to affect all kinds of marketing metrics. This is going to affect quotas. It's going to affect, you know, all the way down to individual quotas, that is, right? Or maybe even um, how you forecast your next year. And so every time I've dealt with it, it's always been a very tricky subject, well, there's there's politics always involved with anything that we don't understand and that we have strong dataless opinions about, right? And, and that, I mean, you think of anything in your business and, and pricing hits on both of those categories. Most of us, maybe if we got an MBA, we took a class on it, but it was very theoretical. If we didn't get an MBA, maybe we worked at a company that went through some sort of pricing exercise. But rarely, you know, most product folks and most marketing and just most businesses in general have done that. And then on top of it, we we don't ironically take the same approach to pricing that we take to product development, customer development, et cetera. And instead just read a blog article here or there and say, oh, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. When in reality, it's like any other business thing that you don't understand or you need to solve. It's apply a framework, follow the framework, you know, adjust and and kind of keep things iterating. So you said product or marketing should own it, but there's a committee of people who should have kind of a a vote and input on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you need a main decision maker. You need someone who's going to say, okay, we've talked enough about this. Here's the decision. And I would make sure that that person is either the product or marketing team that's 
taking this on or is actually the CEO. And the only reason for that is because there's a lot of analysis paralysis when it comes to pricing. A lot of people think, oh, it needs to be perfect. It needs to be perfect. And the problem is, is that we don't take that view of anything else in our business. Design is never perfect. Product is never perfect. Our marketing is never perfect. Their pricing is not going to be perfect either. It's going to be iterations because there's always going to be some fringe part of your customer base that's not going to be happy. And that's okay because you're trying to make those incremental, if not giant leap changes to, to really make your business. And so I would say that you need a decision maker, you need deadlines. And then ultimately, I would say sales and finance should not be in charge of the decision because sales is typically is, you know, it's, it's rare that you meet a head of sales who wants to raise prices. They do exist. Yeah. Rare. Uh, I, I was going to ask you next. I was going to say like, okay, I think I have my reasons by it, but why should sales not own pricing? And if you're at a company where sales owns pricing, that's probably not a good sign. And, and so I think you just answered it. It's because sales will raise the prices then or they'll lower the prices. I meant to say. Totally. Well, it's, it's, it's more, you know, you, they they have different incentives, right? And so, and and unfortunately, they sometimes they don't realize that a higher price is actually going to help them get to their incentives quicker, because they know that they can give a discount to get a sale over the line. They don't always realize yeah. that that discount then re- re- reacts with really poor retention, but they know they can get mm-hmm. it over the line. And so they're they're just not the right person or people to do it. And then on the other side, finance, it's it's. Typically, you see a lot of finance people go, all right, here's the model. They financial engineer the pricing, but all the inputs into the model are wrong or not really tested. So it's like, hey, if we do this, we're going to be you know, billionaires. And it's like, yeah, but all of those assumptions are not right. And so normally product and marketing are typically, depending on the organization, they're traditionally the ones that are closest to the customer, at least the customer research. And that allows them to, to typically be the you know, the most sound teams to kind of take this stuff on. So you talk about the lead. So um, having a product or marketing lead uh, help drive the initiative. What does that person look like? What should, what kind of skills do they need to have? Uh, and what what resources can they turn to to kind of get started? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think in most organizations, if depending on the organization, and I'll get to that in a second, this can be handled by a product manager or a marketing manager for 20%, if not more of their time, because a lot of this is collecting data and then putting the data together. And so when you're collecting data, it's not something where you have to sit there every day while the data is being collected. You know, you're going to launch it, wait for the data to come in, then, you know, spend some time, you know, going through it. But if you're a you know, I would say kind of like a five to $50 million company, you should have at least 20% of one person dedicated to pricing, if not an entire person dedicated to pricing. And then once you get over that, you absolutely need, you know, one full-time person at least. And it's not that they're just focused on pricing sometimes. It's more that they're kind of your customer research person because good pricing just comes down to good customer research and customer development. And the reason I said it really depends on kind of the culture, the, the type of organization you have is because what we've noticed is there is just an epidemic of product teams out there right now. And there's a couple of reasons we think this is the case, but there's an epidemic of just terrible, terrible um, adhesion to customer development and customer research. We just collected some data recently where it's something like seven out of 10 of product companies in software and in SaaS specifically are talking to 10 or less people per month in a non-sales capacity. 
And it's just kind of amazing that we're building products basically based on no customer research. That's crazy. Shocking. So when you say there's an epidemic, the epidemic is that nobody's talking to customers and they should be. Yeah, exactly. And, and we have a lot of, you know, uh, I'll, I'll say this not so nicely, but we have a lot of arrogant product people who go, you know what? I don't talk to customers, but. Like you know, Kyle. Kyle is one of those people. <laughs> I'm telling Sorry, you. Kyle. Uh, so the, the funny thing about that, no, there's some truth to that, not to Josh's comment, obviously, but there is truth to that. Uh, for years, Josh, you probably remember these days because you're old enough to remember it. Uh, yeah. th- there was a, a lot of times product managers' response to uh, the rest of the company was, I don't need to talk to customers. You hired me to help solve these problems, and I'm going to yeah. help you solve those My problems. Job is to just know these things. Well, That's it, right. Five to 10 years ago, they could because there just wasn't as much software. There wasn't as much competition. There wasn't as much you know, density in acquisition markets. There, there just was- no, Nor did we have the tools, right? Exactly. Nor did we have the tools to reach out to customers like we do today. Like we could talk to customers all day long if if we had the time. Unfortunately, we don't, but uh, I mean, it's 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 true. Well, and I think that the, the problem is, is that we, we have lost, and, and I'm going to speak very generally, and I know there's people out there who have definitely not lost this, but as an organization and product, and I, I'm not a, you know, a UI UX product guy. I'm more of like a go-to-market product guy, closer to product marketing than anything. But it's, it's one of those things where as a product team and as a product organization or community, I should say, we have lost the things that got us to the points that we're at. And those are things like learnings. Like we've lost the, the, the craving of learning, you know, whether it's personas or jobs to be done or whatever it ends up being. We're, we're not testing. We're not talking to customers qualitatively. We're not talking to customers quantitatively. And unfortunately, the market is getting harder and harder to work in so that the next time there's a downturn, God forbid, all of a sudden people are going to start turning off the major ad buys and the crazy acquisition numbers that they are. And your product's going to be leaking because you haven't done your homework to make sure that things like your pricing are right, your retention's on the right track and, and things like that. Uh, Patrick, what are some fundamental practices as product or marketers uh, that we could learn around how to best package our solution? Yeah, absolutely. And I know we joked about it before, but I think that the first thing is, is what you should be looking for is, is what I like to call pricing persona fit, especially when it comes to packaging. And so what, Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? It was pricing. (laughs) (laughs) It was pricing persona fit and I'll explain it. So maybe I can prove both of you wrong or or maybe prove both of you wrong. (laughs) And what that really means is, is that when you're, especially if you're a touchless subscription product, meaning, you know, people are signing up on their own, but even if you have a sales team, ultimately what's going to happen is you want each profile of customer you're targeting, and you can break that down in a number of different ways. They need to align to a particular package. And so what I mean by that is, let's say we're a sales product, we're selling a CRM. Each tier or package of our CRM is probably going to be for a different type of salesperson. Now that could be for function. Maybe we're selling to an inside salesperson, an outside salesperson, a you know, customer success salesperson, or it could be by size, which is a little bit more traditional. So salespeople where their team is one to five, salespeople where the team is six to 15, sales teams are 16 plus. But that's that's the first principle of, of packaging is making sure that when someone comes in from the majority of people you're acquiring, you should be focused on which package aligns to each of those personas so that it's not tough for them to figure out 
well, do I need that feature? Do I not need that feature? They should know within a reasonable amount of time of hitting your page or hitting your salesperson's kind of talk track or whatever it is. Hey, this is the package I need, or this is the package that that I'm looking for. Okay. And wh- what about on the pricing side? Are there basic practices that we should be? You know, we, we could do a whole a whole nother podcast on just those, but yeah, just yeah. kind of high level stuff. Yeah. So I think it comes down and we, we talked a little bit about it before, but it really comes down to research and, and collecting data from your customers. A lot of us get kind of, you know, they want, everyone wants a magic formula. Like I give talks, you know, all over the world and it's always, what's the magic formula? Should I end my prices in nines and put that highest tier on the left side of my page? And you know, what's, yeah. what's this like, do I just divide my LTV by this and that? No, it's, it's, it really just comes down to talking to your customers and you have to do it in the right way. Don't get me wrong. And so what are those ways? So there, there's a couple of different research methods that we use with our software and that anyone can kind of use. And one of them is, is, something that we use called relative preference analysis. It's kind of like a, a max diff or a conjoint analysis for any stat nerds that are out there. That's that's a, basically what you're doing is you're just asking customers, hey, out of these five things, what's the most important? What's the least important? And when you start to segment that data down and when you start to kind of figure out who likes what, that's when you can start to figure out your packages. That's when you can start to figure out even your roadmap, what you should build next, a lot of different things. And it's just a research method you can use. And the other one to use is something that we call our price elasticity analysis. And ours is a bit more complicated and also you know, somewhat proprietary. But the one you can use that's kind of public is something called Van Westendorp, which is basically taking advantage of the fact that human beings, we think about value as a spectrum. We don't think about it as a single point. So we know the computer is worth more than the cup of coffee. Just because we've purchased those things in the past, we get more value out of the computer than the cup of coffee, Um, I guess, depending on the morning or the day, of course. But basically, you can take advantage of that fact by asking something like, at what point is this way too expensive? At what point is it getting expensive? At what point is it too cheap? And when you start to ask in those ranges, you start to get what's called a price elasticity curve through some basic math that allows you to figure out, okay, if I change my price this much for this segment, how many people am I going to lose? And that allows you to, especially when combining those two data methods, figure out, okay, so people really care about this feature and the people who really care about that feature are willing to pay this much. And are you talking when you're doing this research specifically, like you had mentioned about when does the price point get too high? Um, are you having those conversations with your actual clients? Are you having those conversations with potential clients or the ideal client? Yeah. So typically what's happening is you're, you should be talking to three different groups of people. So the short answer to your question is you want to be talking to your target customers and whoever those people are. They could be your current customers. They could not be your current customers. And there's a little bit of a chicken or the egg here because you might not know who your target customers are. But if you really think about it, you probably know something. So if we go back to the sales example, like I know I'm selling a CRM, it's going to be for salespeople. I might not know if it's salespeople at 100-person companies or 1,000-person companies or 10-person companies, but I at least know it's salespeople. So that's where I can kind of start my research. And then what I can do is I can collect data from the people currently using my product, people who are prospects but have not quite used my product yet, and then people who are in that target demographic but have never heard of me. Those are what are called market panelists, so that's what we call on our end. And when you get those three groups of people, depending on the pricing problem that you're trying to research, all of a sudden it allows you to really figure out, oh, interesting. So people who know our brand, they're willing to pay more. That's great. 
you know, people who don't know our brand are willing to pay more. That's bad. You know, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can kind of slice that data. Um, and it really comes down to that research question, which I haven't really stressed enough that if you try to go after and fix your entire pricing, your entire packaging, it's, it's going to be a fool's errand. You have to start small with, hey, I want to change this one piece or, hey, I just want to get my feature differentiation correct. Hey, I just want to change my pricing. Start with one thing and then start kind of iterating on these different pieces of your pricing overall. So, Patrick, do these these principles, all this kind of stuff that you're talking about, does it apply to both? So I feel like there's two different kinds of pricing when it comes to B2B SaaS. One is the tool that people just go sign up for online and they pick the good, better, best option. Or there's the, I've got a salesperson who's going to go knock down doors and the pricing is kind of different for each client. Um, are, those, are those two really different cases and you do different stuff with both of those or does, does what you're describing apply to both scenarios? The principles absolutely do apply to both. Uh, it's it's the, the level of how much data you're going to get to make a decision changes a bit. So to give you an example, if I'm selling something to 100 people total in the world, meaning that's my entire addressable market, I'm probably not going to be able to, maybe I can talk to all of them, but I'm probably going to have to start making some decisions before I talk to every single one of them. Whereas if I'm talking to a touchless product, I probably can talk to a lot of different people in order just because there's more volume. And so the, the, the change is also I might not send a survey to that 100 person TAM because I'm probably going to have one-on-one conversations over coffee or dinner doing my customer development. And I would still ask questions like, so at what point is this way too expensive? You know, you're not going to return my call. Or at what point is it, you know, too cheap that you're going to, you know, think I'm, I'm, you know, scamming you or stuff like that. And that at least it's not going to give you quantitative data, right? But it's going to at least give you directional data so that you as a product person can, you know, earn your paycheck and combine it with all different types of data that you're taking in and, you know, your own vision for what the product should be. And then make a decision that's at least hedged even a bit, if not a lot of bit in order to make a decision. And the last thing I would say on that subject, and, and you can obviously talk more, but is that the problems that you're going to face with a touchless sign-up product versus an enterprise sales product versus an inside sales product are going to be a little bit different. The enterprise sales product, the problems you're going to face are actually ironically less pricing and they're more value metric based, like how you're going to charge. Whereas very, very touchless consumer software or even small business software, the price is actually really, really important because there's a lot of elasticity when you're looking at you know, selling on the low end. Patrick, this has been an excellent episode. Thank you for joining us. And uh, tell us, where can people find you? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I'm at PC at ProfitWell.com. And uh, I'll be speaking at a number of events coming up, especially, particularly some of the SaaS stock events that are happening over, over the summer. But if you want a free pricing audit or one of our eBooks where we wrote about pricing, just email me and more than happy to pass that stuff along. Sounds great. So that's going to do it for this podcast. And as always, thanks for listening. Please, everybody, remember to subscribe to We Need Another Meeting on your favorite podcast app. And please leave us a review there. That's um, super helpful. Absolutely. And check us out at weneedanothermeeting.com. Thanks, everybody.